Okay, good morning. Nice to see you all. Um, my name is Jeff, and I'm part of the preaching team here at C3 and doing this morning's message. Um, as you came in, you may have or hopefully been given some outline notes. If you didn't get any outline notes and you would like some, they've just got the verses on it and some blanks to fill in, then just put your hand up and someone... Are there any guys around with an outline note? Not yet. Hang on. There we go, they're coming, right. So, um, they'll come around in a minute and give you some outline notes. Uh, they've just got the verses on, they've got some blanks for you to fill in, and they've also got the questions that the different connect groups that meet through the week are going to be looking at, so they're worth getting hold of. Okay, um, today we're looking at two different stories, and they're both connected by the theme of grace. So we're looking at uh, what grace is and what it looks like um, in different situations. As I said at the beginning, I'm part of the preaching team here at C3. There's quite a few different ones of us now that preach uh, throughout the year. Um, as well as that, my other main kind of uh, area in the church where I'm involved is the kids' work. So once every four weeks, I kind of, when Josh was pointing us all out, I go out and I'm running uh, one of the sessions there with the five to seven-year-olds, okay? Um, great fun. I've done it for a number of years and uh, really enjoy working with that um, age group. Um, one of the things I've noticed with doing kids' work now for quite a number of years, and from my own experiences going to Sunday school, was that there are certain stories that crop up a lot. There are certain stories that very quickly get labelled as, you know, these are good stories to do if you're in kids' church or in kids' work or in Sunday school. Um, and there's various categories. So if a story is about a child or has a child featuring in it, for example, the feeding of the 5,000, that's a really good kids' work story. So in the feeding of the 5,000... Obviously, there's all these people hungry, and it's a, it's a little boy who comes along with his lunchbox or his lunch, and he shares his loaves and his fishes. And the, you know, the children relate to that really you know, good. It's about sharing, and it's a, it's a, it's a child in it, so they like that. Um, other stories about children in the Bible, you've got Joseph and his um, amazing coat that he's given as a present, and he's got the enmity then between Joseph and his brothers. And obviously, many you know, kind of children know what it's like to have brothers and sisters that are annoying them. and you know, So that, that, that kind of relates quite... Well, as well, even um, the story of David and Goliath, you've got the shepherd boy fighting the giant. And obviously, the shepherd boy was considerably older than five to seven, I understand. But, you know, still, it's that idea that, you know, this is a, a younger person facing this great giant. And so that, that category of story is very popular. Obviously, any story involving animals is always a big hit. Okay, we like stories with animals. So Joan and the whale, big tick. Obviously, knocking out of the park, you've got, jo uh, you've got um, Noah's Ark, every single animal on the face of the planet, times two, in a big boat. So that's um, obviously very popular. Um, even when the animal is trying to eat the central protagonist of the story, like in Daniel and the Lion's Den, even then we still think, well, it's an animal though, isn't it? You know, we'll use that, and the kids love that. So that's great. I mean, obviously he didn't manage to eat it. Perhaps if he had, it would be less popular. I don't know. But um, so... Yeah, there's, there's different characters. Today we're going to look at a story, and again, it's the first story we're going to look at. It's a very popular story that is done a lot in children's work. Um, and it's looking at the subject of grace. And grace, to just give a really simple definition, grace is being shown favour that is neither um, expected or deserved. So it's when you're shown favour or kindness, and it's not because of anything you've done, it's not anything you deserve or anything you would expect, but actually in a circumstance where you don't expect it, where you don't deserve it, but you're given that kindness anyway. And the story we're going to look at is the story of Zacchaeus. 
Okay, very popular. Children love this story. I did this um, story a few months back out in kids' work, and we acted it out, and we had someone standing on a chair, and I, di I did think about doing that this morning, and I, I, I said in the first service, would anyone like to do that, thinking no one's going to want to do that, and it was just supposed to be a joke, and then someone put their hand up, and it was like, all oh, right, that's awkward. So we're not going to do that, but, you know, if, if you imagine there's a, you know, someone standing on the chair here, that might help you visualize the story, but today we're just going to read it, because we're adults, and we, we like reading, and that's fine. Right, so this is the story of Zacchaeus, the tax collector, found in Luke's Gospel. Uh, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. So here is Jesus um, in this story with Zacchaeus, showing his favour to Zacchaeus. And this story is very, very popular with children and in kids' work. I think firstly, because Zacchaeus is quite short and has trouble seeing. And I think children get that. Children know what it's like to be in a crowd and not to be able to see over or to be somewhere and having to kind of sit on someone's shoulders. They get that frustration. So they can kind of empathise a bit with Zacchaeus there, maybe. Secondly, it's a story about climbing trees. Okay? Kids like climbing trees. It's great that there's a story about climbing trees in the Bible. So there we go, climbing trees. And the third reason is it's a very kind of child-appropriate, simple message. Um, years back, we used to, rather than kind of making up our own sessions, we used to kind of buy in these sessions, and whatever would turn up that week, we would kind of do it. Obviously, we'd think about it in advance, but we would kind of do it and deliver it. Um, and you know, it had a whole range, a whole mixture of different things. But one week, we got this kind of quite obscure passage from Leviticus that was when the... Um, the Israelites were being told to expel the foreign wives. And it, it was a bit of an awkward passage to do with a load of five to seven-year-olds. It was very difficult to find any form of kind of positive, child-friendly message. So at that point, we thought, you know, this, this kid's work isn't quite as good as it could be. So we started doing our own. So now we focus on Zacchaeus and Noah and things like that. But this story has got a really simple, child-friendly message. Okay? It's, it's about a guy who people don't really like very much. And, you know, most kids know what that's like. They know there's sometimes people in their school, in their class, maybe who's a bit of an outsider. So they get that. And Jesus, rather than being like everyone else and keeping his distance, actually went and made friends with this person. And that made a real difference to that person's life. So it's a really simple message. And if we expand that message, we can say, actually, it's a message for children, but it's, it's a really good message for us. Very clear. Jesus showed great grace and kindness to Zacchaeus, who certainly didn't expect it, who didn't deserve it. And in the same way, Jesus has shown love to each and every one of us. You know, we might not be a lying, cheating tax collector, but the favour God has shown us, you know, isn't anything that we've ever done to deserve it or earn it. You know, we can't, by our good works, suddenly earn God's favour. It's all based on what he has done for us and the choice that he has made. So we've experienced 
this grace from God. And as those who've experienced and accepted the grace of God, you know, those of us who would say we're Christians, we're part of the church, it is our, our role and our, our privilege, really, to extend that grace to the world around us. To look in the world around us, very close to us and further afield, and to extend that same grace that God has shown us to other people. And this story is an example of Jesus doing that in a really simple, practical way. And it's a very, very encouraging story. So in your notes, I've put three reasons why I think this story is a particular encouragement for us to you know, spread and extend the grace of God. And the first reason is this. Zacchaeus was a seeker. So Zacchaeus was someone who was actively seeking Jesus. He wanted to know more about Jesus. He was looking. He was searching. Okay? He'd clearly heard something about Jesus. I think you know, that his, Jesus' kind of name had spread amongst local villages and things like that. And so Zacchaeus had heard about him, and he knew a little bit about him, and he wanted to know more. Perhaps he knew he was a great teacher or a great speaker. Perhaps he'd heard something about maybe some of the miracles. We don't know, but he'd heard enough that it had provoked a curiosity within him and he wanted to find more. Perhaps he had questions, he wanted to get an answer. Perhaps he wanted to see it for himself to see if it made sense. And my first encouragement to us this morning is there are many seekers in the city around us. You know, there are many people in this city who are seeking, who have that curiosity, who have those ideas or those questions, but they want to know more. You know, sometimes we can... Be aware of these people in our lives, perhaps friends, perhaps family, where they seem a long way from making any sort of step towards Jesus, any step towards the church. And you know, that might be because of particularly strong-held beliefs, or it might be they've just got no interest at all in it when you try to discuss it. It might be because they're quite antagonistic towards any mention of it. But for whatever reason, they seem a long, long way from even getting close um, to Jesus. But actually, that is not true for everybody. And this city is full of people, many of whom are seeking somewhere, you know, either consciously or even subconsciously, there's something in them that is asking some questions, would like to know more, like Zacchaeus. You know, this past year in this amazing facility, in this building, you know, we've had more people than ever before who have found us, who have kind of come into the building because they've got that on their heart, you know, in, in many, many different ways. Jesus said to the disciples, look, the fields are white unto harvest. So that means they're ready just to go out and just collect the grain, collect the harvest, bring it in. You know, sometimes you go out and the field needs plowing and the earth needs toiling over or weeding or sorting out or new, you know, kind of fertilizing or whatever else you do to soil and then you've got to plant a seed and then you've got to water it and tend it and keep away everything else. But Jesus says, you know, sometimes you just look out and the fields are right. The fields are ready. And I believe that's true of this city, that there are people all across the city that are ready. We just need to connect with them and we will find that they are ready to kind of make that next step. Um, so that's encouraging. Second thing is this. Zacchaeus' transformation was sudden. Okay? One thing I love about this story is just how simple it is. The most recent session I did in kids' work, we were looking at the story of the man who was um, paralyzed and he couldn't you know, move or walk at all. And Jesus had come to his village or his town and him and his friends, they really wanted to see Jesus because they knew that Jesus had worked these miracles and that people had been healed. And they thought, well, if other people have been healed, perhaps our friend could be healed. So they picked him up on his mattress. They carried him to uh, the house. The house was crammed full of people. There was no way they were ever going to get in. So they thought, I know what we'll do. They climbed up onto the ceiling, onto the roof, 
flat roof, and then they started digging a hole in the roof. If you're a, a parent of a five to seven year old who's recently started trying to dig a hole in your roof, then it might be that session we did a few weeks back that is to blame. But you know, it's one of those stories, it's, just, you know, it's, it's quite an odd story. Now, they go onto the roof, they dig this massive great hole, drop this guy down in, not literally drop him, lower him down, and then Jesus is uh, so impressed by their faith, struck by their faith, and the man is healed, and the man who was carried in on a mat walks away with the mat rolled up under his arm. And there's two particularly amazing things about that story. The first amazing thing is obviously the miracle, which by definition is amazing, is incredible. This person that hadn't walked, we don't know for how long or wherever, but who hadn't walked, comes in and is in an instant healed, leaves walking with the mat rolled under his arm. But the second amazing thing about this story, I think, is the faith of the friends. The risk they take is huge. Going onto this, this roof and just digging a hole in it in the hope that when they lower this man through the ceiling, Jesus is going to be impressed by their faith and heal him rather than the owner of the house kind of taking it up with them and obviously it could get very nasty very quickly. So they, they take this huge risk to help their friend. And I find that risk a little bit intimidating, if I'm honest. You say, I mean, that's, that was a huge risk they took, a huge step of faith. You know, the story of Zacchaeus is a much simpler, much more achievable, simple story. There is no great miracle. There is no great act of faith. Jesus just demonstrates grace to someone. Now, he got some muttering and he got some people unhappy with that. Zacchaeus was a bad man, and not just a slightly bad man. You know, to be a tax collector, you know, let alone chief tax collector, you were a pretty nasty guy, probably. You know, the Romans were um, obviously ruling over the people, and they, you know, they rule, ruled in a pretty brutal way. And the tax collector, Zacchaeus, was a Jewish person. He was part of the community, but he had chosen to side with the Romans and kind of work against those in his own community and to, in order to collect their taxes. And that made him a very, very powerful person. Because if you got on the wrong side of the Romans, or the Romans had any suspicion about you, then you would be thrown in prison or you could be enslaved and your life would just be pretty much over. And so Zacchaeus would have known this and would have seemingly used this to kind of manipulate and lever people. He knew that he could say to people, you know, if you don't do what I say, this, I could, you know, just drop you in it with the Romans and that would be it. And he used this to cheat people out of money, extort people out of money. So he was hugely unpopular, partly because of siding with the Romans, partly because he had cheated people of money. And these were not wealthy, well-off people. So he was a really bad man. And obviously, Jesus took some risk in associating with him even. But there's no great miracle. Jesus simply goes round to his house for lunch. I love the fact that Jesus isn't even required to cook the lunch and invite Zacchaeus round. He just invites himself to Zacchaeus' house. You think that, that's really quite simple. You know, I, I would go for that kind of that deal where you just kind of go around and eat someone else's food. That sounds ideal. So, you know, this is really simple. And yet, the transformation in Zacchaeus' life is amazing. Okay? This terrible man had his whole outlook just changed. All that that bitterness, that hurt, that loneliness. That nastiness, that wickedness inside him just seems to melt away with this one meal, with this one encounter. And it's probably quite a nice meal. Very, very simple what Jesus had to do. And yet Zacchaeus is a changed man. And he's changed seemingly in, 
you know, instantly, by the end of the story. It's not, you know, this is the very first step on a, you know, 12-step intensively mentored program to recovery. It's just, he has this encounter, everything changes. And there's an encouragement in there for each of us that is that sometimes it doesn't always need to be complicated. Sometimes the simplest, smallest things, the smallest actions, the smallest moves of grace can make a huge difference. You know, we do something small and it transforms someone's situation. Or it can help someone find a different direction in life that actually is going to be much better for them. A kind word here, an encouraging email, perhaps just coming alongside someone, a small gift, you know, we invite someone to church one week, we chat to someone we see sitting by themselves and encourage them to get more involved. Whatever we do, that small act of grace is all that is needed and the outcome of it you know, could be very significant. The third encouragement I'd like to make about this story of Zacchaeus is this, that through Zacchaeus, many people were blessed. You know, this story has an amazing ending. You've got this guy, Zacchaeus. Not only is his life transformed, but this small act has a massive impact, not just on Zacchaeus, but on many, many others. You know, he was a rich man. He would have been a very rich man by those standards. The passage tells us he was rich. And he repaid four times those that he cheated. So all those people would have got this huge amount of money back that they'd been cheated of four times. And that would make a huge difference in their lives. And more than that, he takes half his fortune, a considerable sum, and he gives half of that money and dedicates it to helping and supporting the poor in the community. A massive impact over much time by those two statements. Many people blessed through his salvation. And there is an encouragement in that that says this, we don't know always the positive consequences or even the eternal impact that can flow from some of our actions. Sometimes these seemingly small things that we can do can have a rippling out effect and can make a really significant impact that affects not just the person that we showed grace or kindness towards, but can have an impact far greater to far many more people. Um, I was reading this article about um, a guy, little-known guy called Edward Kimball. And I'll just read you what it says from the article. Um, it says this, Kimball was a Sunday school teacher who not only prayed for the often rowdy boys in his class, but also sought to win each one to the Lord. If Kimball ever felt like giving up, he never talked about it. If you have ever taught the Bible to young boys, you know that the experience can often be like herding cats. That is definitely true. Um, so, one young man in particular didn't seem to understand what the gospel was about. So Kimball went to the shoe store where he was stocking shelves and confronted him in the stock room with the importance of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That young man was Dwight L. Moody. In the stock room on that Saturday, he received Jesus Christ as his saviour. In his lifetime, Moody touched two continents for God with untold thousands coming to faith in Jesus Christ. So many of you may have heard of um, Dwight L. Moody, a very famous preacher, evangelist, who had a huge impact, seeing many, many thousands of people across the world coming to Christ. Someone told me um, in the break, which I didn't know, was that he actually, as part of this, um, these kind of missional tours, that he, did, he came to Cambridge and preached in the Corn Exchange. You know, so this is incredible, that people all over the world touched by this guy, Dwight L. Moody, and all because... This other guy, this Sunday school teacher, invested in him and then 
took the chance to have this conversation with him and kind of confront him with the gospel. And he wasn't to know that that person that he was speaking to, that, that, that teenager in the shoe shop, was going to go on and see many thousands come to Christ. And the article then goes on and talks about how Moody then preached, and in some, one of his preaching rallies, this guy called Wilbur Chapman became a follower, and then Wilbur Chapman then went around spreading the word, and Billy Sunday became a follower, and then Billy Sunday did the same, a guy called Mordecai Ham, great name, okay, but also became a preacher. And then Billy, Mordecai Ham was doing some kind of rally, and this guy called Billy Frank became a Christian, and Billy Frank then changed his name, or later changed his name to Billy Graham. And many of you, I'm sure, have heard of Billy Graham, who is believed to have preached to more people in the world than anyone else in human history, 2.2 billion people. So, what the, the point the article is making is you know, these things just ripple out. You start with one person having a conversation, taking an opportunity when they see someone, and actually it has a huge impact. It all starts with this guy, Edward Kimball. Now, obviously, this is a particularly extreme example, but there are many, many everyday examples, perhaps that many of us could share, a small act of kindness that makes a real difference. It just happens at the right time, at the right moment. It really changes someone's outlook or someone's perspective, or it just helps someone in ways that you might not have imagined. And this story of Zacchaeus is one such example. And that makes it just, for me, a really encouraging story. He was, he was this awful character, but there was something in him that despite that was seeking, that was looking, that was interested, and we need to look for that in other people. All it needed was for someone to extend an invitation of grace to him. And his life, and through his life, many other lives could then be transformed. So that's the first story of grace. Um, the second story we're going to look at is probably less familiar, or certainly less familiar. You may uh, well know it or maybe not. Um, not one I think I've ever done with kids' work. Um, and in some ways, it's a little more challenging. So this story um, is about David, back to King David, David and Goliath. He then becomes king, and this is quite a way into his reign as king, and uh, Mephibosheth. And one of the ways in which it's challenging is the pronunciation of Mephibosheth. So... I give this disclaimer, at various points in the next five to ten minutes, I will mispronounce Mephibosheth. I think I only did it once in the first service. And I keep going Meshibosheth or whatever. So just keep nodding and that's fine. So this is the story uh, found in the uh, second book of Samuel, chapter 9. Um, just to give you a little bit of context, David, we know from David and Goliath, he, um, at that time, the king, when David was fighting Goliath, the king was King Saul, the first king of Israel, um, Saul had a son, Jonathan. Jonathan and David were very, very close friends. Okay? Uh, David was anointed by Samuel, who wrote the book, to be the next king. Now, in normal events, you would have expected Jonathan to be the next king. But despite the fact that David was known to be the next king, not Jonathan, they were very, very close friends. Okay? This put a lot of enmity between Saul, who was the king, and David. Um, and on a number of occasions, Jonathan saved David's life. So, uh, you'll see how this all slots together, hopefully. So, let's go from the beginning of this uh, chapter. David asked, Is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake, for the sake of his friend? Now, there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan, 
He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Machir, son of Amomile, in, um, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar from the house of uh, Machir, son of Amomile. Um, when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, and the son of Saul um, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. So it's this story of amazing grace and kindness that David shows to this guy, Mephibosheth. And just to give you a bit of context, David says in verse 7, don't be afraid. Now Mephibosheth probably had very good reason to be afraid because he was a descendant of the previous king, then the new king, or the now established king, asks him to be brought to his court. So the expectation is he may well, you know, it was not uncommon in those days for when a new person took over a ruler, a new household took over, that they would then find all the relatives of the previous king and kill them um, in the same way that we saw in the kind of various parts of English history to basically secure the throne. So when Mephibosheth suddenly finds himself kind of plucked out of obscurity and brought to David's court. Quite possibly, he came expecting that David was going to do away with him. Obviously, David has quite the opposite in mind. He wants to show grace and favor and kindness to this, um, this guy, Mephibosheth. And this story, I think, has quite a different message from the one of Zacchaeus. So I've given you three more points to kind of look at in this. And this is the first point. It says this, Mephibosheth needed to be sought out. So whereas Zacchaeus was already seeking, was already putting himself in Jesus' way, here Mephibosheth is doing the opposite. Perhaps because of fear, he was hiding himself away. He was very much um, kind of invisible. You know, he's a man in great need. What happened was there was a a great battle um, against Israel's enemies, and in that battle, both Saul and Jonathan were killed. And when the message came back that Saul and Jonathan had been killed, it came back to the camp, um, and there was then fear for what would happen to Mephibosheth as the son of Jonathan and the next in line. So his nurse picked him up and tried to run away, and in her panic, she tripped and fell and dropped the baby, um, and this child was then never able to walk because of this incident. So he'd lived his whole life very much on the outskirts, possibly fearful, unable to walk. Um, So he'd had a very, very hard and difficult life. Um, And had stayed away from David as much as he could. Now, the first point I'd like to make is this, is that David's grace, I believe, starts long before the two of them meet. You know, Mephibosheth would never expect even to have been remembered by David, or if he was remembered, he had reason to be fearful. He certainly wouldn't believe himself to be important or worthy of David's kindness or grace. And it's David that takes the initiative. Grace starts when David looks 
for the two of them to meet. You know, and that's really important. You know, in, in this past year, as I said earlier, we've had many people that have you know, walked in, who've been seeking, who've been interesting, who've been, who've been looking, and they've come and found us. And that's fantastic. It's, you know, it's a huge benefit of having this amazing facility in this fantastic location is that people know that there's a church here and find us, which is amazing. But that doesn't mean that we should be satisfied. That doesn't mean that we should just wait for people to come. Because there is a whole world and a whole city out there of people, maybe, who desperately need to connect with God or to connect with the church. But for whatever reason, they will never make that journey themselves. They will never seek us out before, unless we seek them out first, like David did. You know, they're never just going to you know, turn up on a Sunday morning or on a Sunday evening or come up midweek. We need to be those that go out and seek out those who won't seek us out. We need to be the bridge that enables them to come in and feel at home and find the ways of doing that. We must be like David, those that take the initiative, that are the ones that take the message with us and bring people in. So that's, that's the first um, challenge of this story. The second one I've put down is this. Mephibosheth needed ongoing support. You know, David's grace towards Mephibosheth wasn't just a one-off act of grace. It was a significant sacrifice needed and given every day for his life, an ongoing commitment. Every day, this guy was to come and eat at David's table at David's expense, at David's hospitality. You know, it would be wonderful in some ways if every story was a bit like Zacchaeus, that just one touch, one encounter, one moment could lead to someone just being transformed and everything being hunky-dory and, you know, they then go off as perfectly kind of whole and happy people. And that is sometimes true that it takes very little, like in that story. Now, we, we do see that. We do see that sometimes that can happen. There can be a miracle. Someone can be healed. Or there can be a sudden and permanent change of heart or conviction. Or a dramatic shift in circumstances that resolves the situation fully. But very often, it's not quite like that. Very often, it is a long and challenging journey. And that we have to be those that are prepared to walk every step of that journey. Sometimes it's a journey that goes forward two steps, back one step. We have to pick someone up when they fall down, help them, you know, help them to move forward again. And sometimes it is a long and difficult journey. You know, Mephibosheth was never miraculously healed. There was no moment where David prayed for him and suddenly he could walk again. But David's gracious care and concern for him and his provision that he gave him, I believe, was a miracle that Mephibosheth experienced every day of his life. And we have the opportunity to be, to be that same miracle to those in our world. You know, sometimes grace is a small, single, unwarranted act of kindness, but it can also be an ongoing commitment to somebody through every stage and phase of their life. The third point I'd make is this. Through Mephibosheth, seemingly, few people were blessed. We don't know exactly, and I'm sure there were some people that were blessed by his presence in their life, but certainly nothing on the scale of Zacchaeus. You know, Mephibosheth is mentioned a few more times. He crops up in a few other stories. At one point, there is this move to try and make him like a puppet king, and they try to make Mephibosheth king, and there's this kind of plot, and it's uncovered, and then it's found out eventually that Mephibosheth knew nothing about it, had nothing to do with it. Um, but you know, so there are a few other episodes in the life of Mephibosheth that are recorded. But there is no point is that this crowning moment in his story that brings this kind of great dividend in exchange for all that David has done for him. There's no point when 
you know, he does something so amazing and so great that it kind of warrants all this input and all this help that he's received and all this grace he's received over the years. And that's really important because, you see, grace isn't about anticipating a great return. It's not about saying, well, let's make an investment here and hope that the investment pays off and then waiting to see that investment make good. I believe when Jesus embraced Zacchaeus and when Jesus, you know, entered Zacchaeus' home and made that connection with him, his thought wasn't, well, if I can, if I can kind of make Zacchaeus come around, then perhaps he'll give all that amazing wealth he's got and help all these other people. I don't think that was on Jesus' agenda. I think on Jesus' agenda was he saw someone who was lonely, who was struggling, who was miserable, who was bitter, who was, you know, needed to be accepted, who needed to be forgiven. And Jesus stepped into that situation to do what he could to extend grace to that individual, irrespective of what may or may not flow from that. There's a passage um, in the New Testament where Paul is writing to the Corinthians, the church in Corinth, and Paul established this church, and then um, a local leader called Apollos kind of took this, this church forward. And um, at some point, there became some people that tried to kind of create a division between the two. And some would say, well, we're going to do it Paul's way, and others would say, oh, no, we're going to do it Apollos' way. And it, it became a bit of a, a point of division. And Paul writes to them, saying, no, you, you've got it all wrong, you know, and it's not about my way or Apollos' way. And this is what he says. I, Paul, planted the seed. Apollos watered it, but God is making it grow. So it's not about me and what I've done. It's not about Apollos and what he's done. It's all about what God chooses to do. And I think we can apply that verse here and say, you know, sometimes we can do a little and a lot can come from it. Sometimes we can do a lot and seemingly only a little comes from it. But actually, in either case, it doesn't, to one extent, matter. This isn't our primary concern. It's not our question shouldn't be, you know, if we do this, what will this achieve? How will this impact many? Our question should be, what would grace look like in this situation? In this circumstance, how can I show grace to this individual? How can I show grace to this person? And then God may or may not choose to do other things beyond that. But actually, it's our investment that comes first and foremost. I've, of course, there are times when we should be strategic in what we do and how we use our time and resources. But actually, grace is about doing things without any expectation of what may come back um, from it. So, I believe we should be encouraged by the story of Zacchaeus. You know, we should look with eyes of faith for the seekers in our community around us or the people who come in, for the opportunity to sometimes just do something small and simple that we can do many times in a single day that may make a big difference, that may just make a difference in someone's life that we never know how significant that was, even though it was simple and easy. And we should be eager to look for those opportunities. But let us also be those people in the church that continue to be committed to seeking those who are still far away, those who won't find us unless we first go to find them, those people who the journey isn't a quick, easy journey, just one encounter and everything is sorted, but actually it's a question of a long process that takes much work, much effort, and much thought, and even then may not produce great consequence. Let us be those that look for different ways that we can extend grace to the world around us. You know, this is what grace looks like in these two different stories. We see two very different outcomes, very two different approaches, but actually both of them are about revealing God's heart wanting to extend kindness and love to the world around us. And these 
These acts of grace should be the hallmark of anyone that says, yeah, I'm a Christ follower, I'm a Christian. And they should be, and I believe they are, a hallmark of this church. That as this church becomes increasingly known in this city, that we would be known as those that show the grace, that extend the grace of God and extend the grace of Jesus. You know, that people would know that this is a place where they can come if things are difficult, whatever their circumstance, whoever they are, and they will find a community that welcomes them, that extends grace to them, and seeks to do whatever they can to make a difference in their lives. Um, I'm going to ask the band to come up, and in a minute we're going to uh, pray a few prayers. But first, before we pray a more general prayer, I just want to make this appeal to anybody in the room um, that perhaps has never taken that step of becoming a Christ follower, a Christian, a follower of Jesus. In these two stories, we've looked at Jesus extending grace to Zacchaeus, and we've talked about David extending grace to Mephibosheth. And mostly I've been, I guess, focusing on Jesus and David. But actually, perhaps when you are hearing these stories, you more align yourself with Zacchaeus. You more align yourself with the person that's heard a little, is interested has heard something, wants to know more, has questions, wants to find out for themselves what it means. And I want to say to you this morning, if that's you, you know, in the same way as we saw in that story, that Jesus is looking to extend his grace to you. You know, when Jesus called out to Zacchaeus and invited himself around to lunch, you know, Zacchaeus could have said, no, I don't don't want that. You know, I've seen, I've kind of piqued my curiosity, but, you know, that's that's it. You know, I, I don't want any more. But Zacchaeus made the choice to choose to come down from the tree and accept Jesus' grace, accept what Jesus had to offer. And it was, he allowed it to change his life. And I just want to make that encouragement to you this morning. We're going to pray a prayer together as a church. But if that's you, then you've, you've never taken that first step of saying, actually, I want to accept what Jesus has done for me. I want to accept his love for me, his, his kindness and his goodness towards me. I want to accept favor that he wants to show in my life and I want to today commit my life to following him if you've never made that statement then I'm going to invite you to do that today as we as we pray this prayer then I want you to just invest those words in particular significance as one who's doing it for the first time or maybe it's something you've accepted in the past but you know you've gone a long way from it maybe like the super chef who will far from it as you might want to be and maybe fearful well you don't need to be fearful you can come back today and sit at the table and be the welcomed guest so we're going to pray that prayer now let's just bow our heads the church will echo my words back and please join with them if this is you making this commitment today let's pray Lord Jesus I thank you for your grace towards me I thank you that you took the initiative thank you that you first loved me that you gave your life for me to wipe away all the wrong things that I've done this morning I want to accept you I want to accept your offer of grace I want to come down from the tree like Zacchaeus and make a connection with Forgive me for everything that I've done that is wrong. I pray you help me to follow you and your ways for the rest of my life. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
just as we just keep our heads bowed, I just want to ask if you prayed that prayer and that is the first time you've ever prayed that prayer, made that commitment for the first time, or perhaps you've come back and you've made that commitment again after having been away from things you've for a while. I'm just going to ask you, could you just put your hand up so I can just see we'd just like to pray with you. We've got a team here we'd love to just meet with you. We've got some things we'd like to give you as well just to help you on that journey. Is there anyone that would like to just raise their hand and say that's me this morning? anyone but if anyone has made that decision you know you've made you perhaps you've begun to think about it and you want to know more about it and you want to ask some of those questions and unpack some of the things I've said this morning in a little bit more detail then there's going to be a team here at the end uh, to this left side who would love to just meet with you pray with you perhaps give you some resources to help you point you in the direction of, of information that will help you to to answer those questions or to make that next step and please feel confident to do that they'd love to meet with you Equally, if you've got you know, issues in your life, maybe issues physically or um, emotionally that you'd like just someone to stand with you and talk them through with you and pray with you, again, this, this prayer team would love to do that. We'd love to just stand with you, talk things through, pray with you, and maybe if appropriate, point you in the right direction for some support or further ongoing kind of help. But if that's you, at the end of the meeting, after this final song, please come and just speak to that team there. They'd love to, to do that. Let's just pray quickly together. Lord Jesus, I'm so thankful for your grace for each and every one of us. I'm so thankful that you show that to us in so many ways. And I pray that each and every one of us would be those that reflect the grace that you've showed us to the world around us. That when people look at us, they would see that imprint of Jesus in our lives. They would see that extension of grace, not Know, just occasionally, but we would, we would see it as a path through our lives. I pray that we would go from here with a renewed commitment to just looking with eyes of faith for any opportunities that are presented. That maybe this afternoon or this evening or this week we would see small opportunities where we can say something or we can do something, perhaps insignificant, perhaps small, but maybe making a great difference. That you would fill us with a faith that as we step out like that, we will see great things happen lives may be transformed by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name.